ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 18 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco. My website is live, fantasylawguy.com, and today we're going to be breaking down one of the top annual experts drafts in the entire fantasy football industry. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. We let them all do it. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep trickling the ball down the field, boy. I saw it, son. I saw Hello? You play to win the game. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Draft week is upon me. Most people I talk to are drafting between August 28th and September 9th. Today is August 17th as of this recording. So for most, we're about a week or two away from being in full-fledged draft mode. And it doesn't quite feel like it yet, but padded practices for most teams do start today. So they're going on right now as I'm talking. So it'll start to feel like fantasy football season soon enough. And this week, I actually have two drafts, my first two competitive season-long drafts of the season. They are Wednesday and Thursday night, and I will keep you updated on how those go after the fact. My draft pick has been revealed in four of my main leagues so far, and I've gotten pick four, pick four, pick four, and pick ten. So three out of the four leagues that I know my pick in so far, I'm picking fourth. And of course, pick ten is my highest stakes league, but oh well. So I'm already faced with my biggest, my first big predicament, I should say, that is starting to keep me up at night, and that is after Christian McCaffrey, after Saquon Barkley, after Ezekiel Elliott go top three, I'm faced with the choice of Alvin Kamara or Derrick Henry, and it's not an easy decision for me because these leagues are not full point PPR leagues. In that case, you know, I'd lean Kamara, of course, but one of these leagues is half point PPR. And the other two are non-PPR, but there's a 2.5 point bonus for every five catches that a player records, which I do like because I hate rewarding points to players who just catch the ball and just go nowhere. Because I think it's kind of ridiculous that players in PPR leagues get a full point for just catching a pass that can go for like negative yardage and a play that actually hurts their team, yet they get a point for that. So the 2.5 point bonus Every five catches ensures that the player is involved pretty heavily in the receiving game. It's kind of like a usage bonus there. We also have the same bonus for 100-yard games, receiving and rushing. So anyway, averaged out, these are like one-fourth PPR leagues or .25 PPR leagues. So the ultimate question for me is Derrick Henry or Alvin Kamara in a one-fourth PPR league. And I have Kamara ahead of Henry in PPR, but still have Henry fifth. So I have them fourth and fifth respectively. And in fact, I see a, a drop-off after the top five. I, I like Kamara and Henry a lot. I think there's a little drop-off after the top five. I would not be a huge fan of getting pick six. Uh, but, but Henry averaged 22.5 points a game in this format in the final 11 games. In eight, that's eight regular season plus three playoff games with Ryan Tannehill. And that ranked as running back two behind Christian McCaffrey. And it was actually 2.5 points a game ahead of Aaron Jones, who was RB2. So a pretty sizable gap there 
the way that Henry played with Ryan Tannehill last season. And Henry has been such a force in the since the final four games of the 2018 season. And he's the guy on his team, and the volume is substantial. He might lead the NFL in rushing again. He might lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns. He may lead the NFL in carries. And the Titans just don't even have a receiving down as a backup, so maybe he'll get more passing work. I mean, the upside is RB1 overall for Derrick Henry. Uh, Kamara was only RB10 last season in points per game in this format, which is good, but not fourth overall pick good. Yet, as we've discussed, you know, he battled ankle injury, back injury, knee injuries last year, and he's due for more touchdowns this season after scoring 31 touchdowns in 31 career games before only scoring six times in 14 games last year. You know, Kamara is not the guy in the Saints offense. He's not the total focal point like Derrick Henry is for the Titans. Henry will touch the ball more than Alvin Kamara, but Kamara plays in the better offense, with the better quarterback, better offensive line, and and better team, in my opinion. And two years ago, Kamara was the RB3 in this format. So it's a brutal call, honestly. It really is, and and basically a a non- PPR, one-fourth PPR league, you know, I'm almost certainly going to mix and match, you know, give a minor hedge there. I'll likely pick one of them in two leagues and then the other one in the other league, but I haven't even decided who I'm going with yet in my first draft, which is Wednesday. I just like both of them a lot. And looking ahead, I'm okay with my round two pick in all the leagues that I have picked four in, which is pick 21 overall. I think it's right at the end of a drop-off on my board. So I think I'll be pretty happy with who I end up with at 21. But in round three, pick 28, that's a real tough spot for my board because there's just so many players, especially wide receivers, where I feel pretty much the same about them as the guy I would take at pick pick 28 overall as I would the wide receivers going in like round the end of round four. And I have some players I like at 28, but there's just no value on my board whatsoever there. Like I could potentially get the players that I'm targeting at 28 in at the end of round three or very possibly at pick like 45 in round four. So that'll be interesting. But enough about me. You can tell I'm in draft mode already, but I'm just trying to get you guys and girls there too. Much more important than my own fantasy teams that nobody cares about is my website, fantasylawguide.com. And that website is live as of, I think it was Friday or Saturday. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! It does, this is the first time I'm promoting it, it does not have my draft board on there yet. Again, my target date for posting my draft board will be August 25th, so next week. But it is a very cool website and it still has a massive 200 plus page document on there that I call the Fantasy Law Guide, which is right now incomplete, believe it or not, even though it's already over 200 pages, but this is not meant to be read in one sitting. It is a useful tool that you can use to do detailed research for your draft and kind of stay apprised with the NFL all in one spot. So right now, the main thing that's on the fantasy law guide right now, the thing that's taking up over 200 pages is phase one of the fantasy law guide, which I call contextualized game logs. And this is, I think, you know, I'm obviously biased. But I think it's kind of groundbreaking stuff. I don't think you're going to find this really anywhere else on the internet where it's all in one spot. So the way you would use this is like this. So let's say you have pick six in your draft. And you can't decide between two Saints players, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. So one way you can use 
the fantasy law guide and the contextualized game logs on there right now. If you go to it, you, you can control or command F and search Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara in this massive document. And the first thing that will come up, it will lead you to Michael Thomas's game log where you can kind of see his statistics and fantasy output for each game this season. But this isn't just a normal game log, right? You can also, this is a contextualized game log, which means there are game notes that describe how and why, frankly, these statistics were amassed each game. So unlike a traditional game log that only provides just numbers, like raw statistics, you can view necessary context for any performance. So if Michael Thomas had a bad game, you can see if it was because he exited the game early, or you can see if he was battling an injury going into the games. You can see if the conditions were difficult to play in because of bad weather, driving rain, snow, muddy field. You can see if Michael Thomas was being shadowed by an elite cornerback who was covering him. You can also see if game flow negatively affected his production. Like if the team was leading, if the Saints were leading by double digits throughout the entire second half, so they just barely threw the ball. And you can also see if Michael Thomas was forced to play with his backup quarterback, like when he had to play with Teddy Bridgewater last year. These types of variables play such a significant role in determining statistical production. So it's important to gain a full understanding of why a player produced the fantasy stats that he did. So that way you can determine whether these stats are sticky you know, or reliable or whether they're fluky based on largely on situations that are unlikely to be repeated. So I wanted to give an example of how this contextualized game log could look like because maybe you're on the fence right now about going to fantasylawguy.com and checking out the fantasy law guide and looking at what these contextualized game logs are about. So this is what it would look like. So Kyler Murray, I'll start with him because he's the Cardinals quarterback and it goes in order of teams alphabetically. So Arizona is first. So Kyler Murray, it'll start you off at and then it'll say week one, it'll say 21.6 and that is his his ESPN point total for fantasy football in that game. That is full PPR scoring because it is ESPN is the most popular site. So immediately you'll get to see, unlike a regular game log, you'll get to see Kyler Murray's fantasy production, not just his raw passing stats or rushing stats. So then you may be wondering, okay, well, how is this any different than just logging on ESPN and looking at his fantasy game log? Well, the reason is because... I'm, again, providing context for his performance. So week one, so Murray was awful for the first games, I mean, for the game's first three quarters, missing all kinds of easy throws while getting a number of balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. His interception was a horrendous decision with even worse mechanics. The Lions were up 24-6 to early in the fourth quarter when Kyler Murray finally clicked into gear. He had several great throws to Larry Fitzgerald, including and a 27-yard dime touchdown to David Johnson up the seam to help lead his team to a tie. And the extra quarter of play and overtime to help him accrue better fantasy numbers. So you get this context for every game, for every fantasy-relevant player last season. You, again, you know, I let you know when they got hurt. I let you know when, you know, if they left in the third quarter with an injury or if they were battling an injury. I let you know if, they, if a receiver dropped three passes or dropped two touchdowns that hurt his stats. All of these great things that help you see how these stats were amassed you can also go see this for each game for every fantasy-relevant player. So it's a great resource if you're trying to do a deep dive. And at the bottom of each contextualized game log, I also provide their adjusted fantasy totals. 
So you know by listening to the show by now that I'm always spitting out points per game averages like, oh, Joe Mixon averaged 16.3 points a game in the final eight games, and that was RB8 pace. Well, you may be wondering, where do I pull that from? Like, where do I get that information? Well, I'm not just pulling these stats from various websites and Twitter feeds and like ESPN point, and these aren't even just ESPN points per game. Because no, that, none of that's that good. They're not accurate. It may appear like I'm saying points, fantasy points per game, but it's a lot more complex than that. Because in most cases, using a player's final fantasy ranking is not helpful analysis. And points per game is definitely more important. However, points per game can be flawed too. And in my opinion, fantasy experts who use raw points per game as the sole basis of their analysis for a player's fantasy production per game are simply not doing enough work. Well, I did... I'm doing the work here, so allow me to elaborate uh, by providing examples of what you know I'm including and not including in my adjusted fantasy totals that I use. So like if DJ Moore played five snaps before exiting game, well, ESPN and most experts would even count that as one of his games, so they would include that in his points per game stat. But I'm certainly not going to include that game in his 2019 sample because he only played five snaps. And Adam Thielen last year, he bowed out of two games last season in the first quarter because of his bulky hamstring. But what use is it to include those two hamstrung games in his, in his points per game evaluation? So moreover, it's also unfair and unproductive to include the three games that Robbie Anderson played with Luke Falk, the third-string quarterback for the Jets, instead of Sam Darnold in his points per game evaluation. And similarly, it's poor practice to include Josh Allen's Week 17, where he only played a few series before resting for the playoffs and his points per game evaluation. So the goal of my adjusted fantasy totals is to exclude faulty games from their points per game calculation where, for example, they exit in the first quarter or they were playing with a third string quarterback, games that are simply not relevant. And they, they just act to screw up the sample. And I calculate points per game from a relevant, applicable sample for each player instead. Consequently, using this approach, I've gone through each player's game log and created what I believe to be a far more accurate points per game ranking, which I call adjusted fantasy totals. And I've added the word pace after the total to notify the readers that many points per game averages are based on smaller samples, like or even larger samples if they played in the postseason games. That's another thing. I include postseason there because why wouldn't you want an increased sample size? It only statistically it only helps accuracy. So of course I'm going to include postseason games. Most fantasy analysts do not do that. So I do it for every single player who played in a postseason game. And the point is a lot of these samples are not 16 games. So when I compare them to other players' adjusted fantasy totals, for instance, you know, I say 19.9 points per game in eight games, and that equals RB4 pace, that indicates that that player averaged 19.9 points per game in the eight relevant games that I included in the sample. And maybe it's Kenyon Drake's. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. In this case, it actually is Kenyon Drake's final eight games with the Cardinals. He got traded midseason. So his full season does not matter. It's only the eight games that he played for the Cardinals. So I prorate or extrapolate that to 16 full games. He would have finished as the fourth ranked running back over 16 games if he if he kept at that pace. So that's what RB4 pace means after their adjusted fantasy totals. So I have all this right after the contextualized game logs. I also, right under that, I have offensive line evaluations. So And I include the offensive line situation for each team because it's like, 
because I believe it's valuable information and often underutilized tool that pertains to fantasy football decision making. The, the goal should be to go further than just knowing whether a team is a good or bad offensive line. An experienced and competitive, competitive fantasy football manager should be able to assess strengths and weaknesses of each unit. You should want to know if each offensive line has continuity, like how many of last year's starters are they returning this season. This is an important offseason for that. You should also want to know which offensive lines were banged up last year and forced to play with a lot of backups and rotate players among positions in the offensive line. For example, last season, every single member of the offense of the Indianapolis Colts starting offensive line played 16 games. This means that the Colts offensive line starters made 80 of 80 possible starts. And that's a true rarity in the NFL. That happens like once every three years among the 32 teams. And that makes them highly likely to experience negative health regression. So you can expect, unfortunately, the Colts offensive line to be worse this season. Just from a health perspective alone, based on the law of averages. And on the other hand, the Cincinnati Bengals starters missed 27 combined games, making their starters made 53 of 80 possible starts. Jonah Williams missed the whole season at left tackle. So oftentimes, missed, start, missed starts among elite left tackles can help explain a lack of production from an offense from an individual quarterback or running back as well. So, for example, in the last in the past, Drew Brees has compiled far worse fantasy numbers when missing his left tackle, Taron Armstead. And the same has been the case with Dak Prescott when Tyrone Smith misses games. So you want to know these things about offensive line. So I, I include this for each team in a small little chart area for every NFL team. I'll say for each lineman, I'll say, okay, for example, Justin Pugh, he started 15 of 16 games last season at left guard. And then I give him a kind of a Madden-like uh, ranking, 77 overall. I put in parentheses, strong pass blocker. And then I'll say, did not play uh, week 17. That was a game he missed. And then I'll put started, if he had played started any games that, at, that weren't at his position at left guard, uh, like he did, started weeks 9 and 10 at right tackle. I'll say that so you can see all the combinations for the line. So yeah, this can be extremely helpful for doing a deep dive on you know, a team situation that had a very banged up offensive line last year. And, and lastly, for the contextualized game logs, I, I give defensive players as well. Just the starters, I don't go into much detail there. I do give them a uh, a Madden-like kind of player ranking where the grades are designed to be kind of a rough estimate of player value and performance relative to their position. And in, in, in order to come up with these numbers, I use several data and analytics websites like Pro Football Focus, Football Outsiders, and then also film analysis from the NFL gurus I trust, as well as my personal evaluations as well. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm some kind of expert or grading wizard, uh, nor am I going to contend that these ratings just tell the whole story and they're just such an accurate portrayal of a player's quality. But this is, you know, player ratings can be a touchy subject. But, you know, and I appreciate all the feedback, but this is just meant to be in a thousand foot view of offensive linemen and defensive players where people who are playing fantasy football don't really get the time or have the time or the care to be going evaluate this deep. So it's just kind of a, a nice little screenshot to see if defensive players are like if the defense is consisting of a bunch of good defensive players. And it's also just a great way to keep track of the NFL, right? Like it's this is all color coded. So if a player is red, it means they've departed from the team. If they're purple, it means a new addition to the team. Like the player did not play to, with that team last season. If they're blue, it means they're an elite player. If it, they're green, it means they're a great player. So this is all color coded. It's just a really 
cool document to look at. It is very in-depth, so you're just getting into fantasy football. I may, You may be overwhelmed by it, but the crazy thing about this document is that the contextualized game logs, everything I've just described, is only phase one of this massive document. Phase two is when I add my own draft board to this huge document next week. In phase three, I'm going to be adding the best expert arguments from throughout the expert industry for and against each player. So you can get like the best argument for drafting a player and the best argument against, or for fading that player against drafting him. It's all going to be in one spot. And that's what this is supposed to be for. You're supposed to be able to go to it and just, you know, instead of going to 300 different fantasy websites and then being restricted by paywalls and then only seeing the content on that one site by those one or two or few experts, you can see all the best analysis here uh, the contextualized game log for everything you need to know about last season. You can see, obviously, my uh, draft board, and then you'll see the best arguments for and against each player from other experts that I have grown to love and respect and follow. So this is just going to be a one-stop shop where you can pretty much just command and search a player's name. Like, for example, Michael Thomas. It'll bring you to this contextualized game log first, and then it will bring you to every other time Michael Thomas is mentioned in this massive document. Sometimes it'll be for great things and great stats and great analysis, and sometimes it will be for negative things. Well, rarely for Michael Thomas, but you get the point. So this is a great way to kind of really dive deep if you are a, a fantasy football freak like I am myself. And also, that's just the fantasy law guide. Like, that's not even just the website. That's the fantasy law guide, which is one third of the website. The other two pages on the website, on the main pages, one's my NFL draft history. And we'll talk more about that later when it's March and April. But as y'all know, I'm a huge NFL draft fan. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to toot my own horn, but I'm also not going to sit here and lie to you guys. Uh, my dr- mock drafts have been one of the most one of the most accurate mock drafts in the last seven years among in the entire world. All of that mock draft history is on this website. Uh, there's also a podcast page where you can listen to this podcast and you can ask, you can post your fancy questions that I'll answer on the show on there. So yeah, long spiel about my website, long spiel about my contextualized game log, but I did want to teach everyone who was interested how to use it. So so yeah, the main feature is the fantasy law guide, and that is only in phase one right up there. But again, it's already the contextualized game logs alone are up. That is already 235 pages. I'm looking at it right now. So again, not meant to be read in one sitting, but definitely a useful tool for draft prep. Uh, so check it out if you're a hardcore fantasy player. And by the way, the best thing is it is free. I'm not charging anybody for this. This is all just work that I did for fun. I'm I'm just letting everybody, even my competitors, view this kind of thing. Uh, normally, I've just I've done this for the last couple of years, but I just keep it on my own computer because I'm an evil person who really likes to win against my friends. But now I'm just kind of releasing all of this into the wild. So and it's all free of charge. So I don't think you'll find anything like this on the internet, especially for free. So go check that out. Okay, let's get into fantasy news. The Washington football team has activated quarterback Alex Smith from the active PUP list. Okay, so this is awesome news here because Smith, and it's kind of just a feel-good story. He doesn't really have fantasy value yet, but Smith, as y'all know, suffered one of the most gruesome injuries in NFL history two years ago. 
and he his leg injury required 17 different surgeries. That's right. I spoke right. 17 different surgeries on his leg. So his return is being seen as like a medical miracle. And there's also a mini documentary on him already by Stefania Bell of ESPN, their injury expert. Uh, and she did this on Alex Smith to kind of shed light into how complicated and trying this injury really was. So this is great news that he's actually able to be cleared for football. I'm not going to project his fantasy impact right now because I don't think he's going to usurp Dwayne Haskins' job as the starting quarterback, but just a really, really cool comeback story there. One of the few good things that has happened in the 2020 year. So next bit of news. Now let's get to the negative stuff, right? Uh, TJ Hawkinson, this is back on 2020Q, but uh, TJ Hawkinson says that the ankle that has been an issue for him this offseason, he still notices it, and it's not quite 100%. And this is early in training camp, and he's trying to push forward, he said. So just like that, I am totally out on TJ Hawkinson. Uh, But no, but really, I am not joking that much. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, I was already kind of, I think I had him one spot lower in in my rankings compared to where he was going at ADP, which is, I think, tight end 12 um, or tight end 13, I think. If he's not healthy now, he likely won't be at any point in the season. So this definitely has me concerned, and I'll likely be passing on him until we get some more optimistic injury news. I am an injury pessimist. So, all right, let's go to some fluff here. A lot of Jets, Jet, New York Jets fluff coming up. And that is the New York Daily News. Charles McDonald says that beat writer, he says that Jameson Crowder is clearly the best receiver on this team. And this is true. I mean, the the Jets brought in Rashad Perryman and Denzel Mims as their outside receivers. Neither have played the Sam Darnold before. And it's also a shortened COVID-19 offseason. So they didn't get a lot of time with Sam Darnold. And Denzel Mims, the rookie that they picked in round two, already has a hamstring injury in training camp. So Chris Herndon, tight end, does return. And with that could hurt Crowder because they kind of both specialize on targets over the middle of the field. But Crowder has the rapport and the usage in rapport with Sam Darnold and the usage in Adam Gase's offense. And so I like him in PPR formats. I think he's a player who nobody really likes drafting. Nobody drafts Jamison Crowder and is like, even in PPR leagues, no one's like, oh, yes, what a steal. You know, like I'm so excited I got Jamison Crowder. Um, It's because he plays for the Jets, Adam Gase. You know, he's not a sexy pick. However, He's being drafted at wide receiver 40. I do think that this is pretty low for him. I have him higher than that. I'm not aggressively reaching for somebody who I don't believe is a top 10 ceiling in his range of outcomes, even in his best case. But but yeah, I think Crowder will just end up on a couple of my teams just because I'm just higher than consensus. So anyway, let's move on to Sam Darnold. More Jets fluff here. And he, quote unquote, looks like a franchise quarterback. And that's not the only, Charles McDonald, not the only beat writer saying that Darnold looks really good in camp. Darnold was terrible for the first half of last season due to mononucleosis, uh, the kissing disease. Gay, I don't know how he didn't get that in high school, but he was also held back by Adam Gase. The worst. A horrible Jets offensive line and you know, pretty weak supporting cast. So he, he did finish strongly, though, uh, admirably with his uh, dumpster fire of a situation. He was QB 12 in the final eight games last season. So he should take a step forward this season. He's still really young. Sam Darnold is younger than Joe Burrow. And Darnold's all going into, what is this, his fourth season? No, I think this is his third season. But either way, 
Sam Darnold younger than Joe Burrow, incoming rookie, which is a pretty crazy stat there. So he still has time to develop. And some of these situational issues that I just described still remain present. But he is a he's a streaming option. He will be in one quarterback leagues. He's not really draftable in one quarterback leagues. But but yes, as a quarterback three in superflex leagues, you know, sure. Uh, last bit of Jets fluff. Adam Gase has very high expectations for Chris Herndon, tight end. He said, let me make this crystal clear. He's our starting tight end. And multiple beat writers have said that the Jets are going to use Herndon a lot. Uh, I don't know how useful that's going to be in an Adam Gase offense who does not have a good history of utilizing tight ends. Uh, and this Jets team could be pretty bad. Uh, however, Darnold did show a little bit of a rapport with Herndon as a rookie. Herndon caught 39 passes for 502 yards as a rookie. He's a pretty dynamic athlete. Um, he'll probably be a streaming option at the very minimum because uh, for people who are streaming the tight end position who want to go late there. Uh, but he definitely has the upside to be like an every week starter. I'd say like tight end six is his ceiling. Right now he's going, uh, right now he's, he's being underdrafted at tight end 20 overall. Uh, I think he's much more likely to finish near like tight end 13. But anyway, carry on Johnson. Carry on my son. Was spotted in a knee brace at training camp. So... This is not the worst news in the world. He had the knee injury last year, and it is pretty common for players who had past knee injuries to wear the brace, but it does mean that they're not 100% trusting of the knee. Like on Johnson, reportedly, beat writers in Detroit have been saying that he looks really good. He's running really well, cutting well. Everything's fine, However, and he looks like the best running back in camp, I've heard. However, uh, it just he might only be like 95% comfortable with his knee right now so it is it's something worth noting and Johnson has missed 14 of the last 32 games in his career very injury played career but I wanted to kind of be on the carry on carry on Johnson train here because I could kind of see him as a post-hype breakout right because the Lions did draft carry I mean DeAndre Swift but he's not getting the full off experience of the full offseason and Daryl Beverell, the offensive coordinator, recently said that they, they're not sure how they're going to use Swift. The role of Swift remains to be seen is what the exact quote was. And Which, I, by the way, that seems so odd for a team to say, the team that drafted him at 36 overall are like high for a running back. You don't have a plan for using him yet? That is typical Detroit Lions. But, but anyway, we've bought into on Johnson's talent before. So... I, I kind of like that as a, a post-hype kind of breakout or bounce-back season for Kerry. But I am a little—I just called him Kerry. I don't know why. But uh, I am, but I am a little weary that DeAndre Swift takes passing down work, and I'm a little nervous that Bo Scarborough, right, the big back out of Alabama, takes goal line opportunities. So even if on Johnson leads the Lions in, in carries and touches, like he leads the team in touches. I'm not sh- necessarily sure it'll translate well to fantasy points. So that's kind of my thoughts on Carryon Johnson. Um, in case you were wondering, you may not have been. But the 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan said that Debo Samuel has a chance of playing in week one, but he's not counting on it. Me either, Kyle. Me either. And speaking of injury news, we have our first training camp injuries. Unfortunately, right when the pads go on, First day of padded practice, as I mentioned. We've already had multiple injuries. 49ers wide receiver running back hybrid, offensive weapon, I should say. Jalen Hurd, uh, who basically redshirted last season too, uh, has torn his ACL. 
So he is out for the year. He wasn't really on the fantasy radar, but it's a minor, uh, I guess, upgrade for the other 49ers receivers by default. Uh, Cowboys starting defensive tackle Jared McCoy also went down with a knee injury. It's believed that he tore his ACL. That has not been confirmed as of this recording, which is 2 p.m. on Monday. And then the Bengals, what has been confirmed is the Bengals cornerback Trey Waynes. Remember the old guy for the Vikings, first year of the Cincinnati. He tore his pec muscle and in a workout, I think a couple days ago, and he will miss a large chunk of the 2020 season, but he's not being placed on IR. So um, yet at least. So it's possible he could come back by the end of the year. So a little ding for the Bengals defense slash special team. Same for the Cowboys. And a noteworthy injury from a fantasy perspective, A.J. Green has just gone down. Uh, he is nursing uh, some kind of lower leg injury. Uh, he's got ice on it right now. I think that the team already reported that he was fine, but that is just the last thing you want to see with A.J. Green, another lower body injury. Again, he missed all of last season with the foot issue, and then he missed the final uh, eight games in 2018 with I believe it was even either an ankle or it was a lower leg injury as well. So uh, A.J. Green, 32 years old, I think. So, yeah, definitely not somebody – that you want to see go down. I did have, I do have hope for AJ Green that he'll be able to get healthy and be Joe Burrow's number one target there. There is optimism that I have for AJ Green. I do think his draft cost is affordable as well. Um, however, this you will have to stay updated on whether this is just you know icing it for veteran treatment or if this is something a little more serious. So, and it's important to keep in mind right now. While I'm going through the injuries, we don't have preseason. So that will eliminate the chances of preseason injuries, like in games at least. But because of COVID, players weren't able to have mini camps or OTAs, and they weren't able to work out at team facilities this offseason. So a lot of players also lived in states where their gyms were closed. And other than the really rich ones, you may have a uh, in-home gym, but, but a, a ton of players you know, more so than usual, will be out of shape or at least not in their usual body routine. I don't want to call these guys out of shape. That's kind of probably going to be a very minority where someone barely worked out this offseason. But out of shape, relatively speaking, compared to where they normally are at this time of year, not in their normal body routine. So, you know, we're going to see, at least in my opinion, I'm not a doctor, I think that we're going to be seeing injuries in training camp as a result, more of them than usual. So we will see how the lack of offseason, the lack of conditioning compared to normal affects these guys. Hopefully we don't lose too many fantasy-relevant players um, or even non-fantasy-relevant players. So moving on to Brandon Ayuk, uh, reporting is further ahead than a lot of rookies, according to Kyle Shanahan. That is great news for Ayuk and Shanahan continued, he knows how to practice like a pro. You can tell he comes prepared every day. He's not a guy you've had to teach how to act or how important it is to learn this stuff. You can tell he understood that right even before he got here. So great stuff from Kyle Shanahan, not just coach speak. I mean, this is talking about his true work ethic, which is great. Um, And it's great to know that Brandon uh, has a good head on his shoulders for fantasy. Uh, I think that the starting wide receivers for the 49ers on opening day is going to be Ayuk. Kendrick Bourne on the outside, and Trent Taylor in the slot. And Ayuk is my preferred fantasy selection, uh, but he shouldn't come until later in drafts. So moving on, there's buzz that Deshaun Jackson has been as fast as ever following his core muscle surgery last season. 
Uh, Deshaun Jackson missed pretty much all of last season except for the first game where he did have a blow-up game. I think Deshaun Jackson's ADP is far too low at 160 overall. And I have him inside my top 120. And he's likely not going to play a full season. I acknowledge that. Uh, But when he's healthy, you know, for those three games, (laughs) you will be getting a startable wide receiver three or flex option. And he's going at wide receiver 60. So that seems crazy to me. I've noted that Alshon Jeffrey seems likely to start the season on PUP, which means he'll miss the first six games. I guess people are waiting on that to become official. And maybe they like Jalen Rager more. Jalen Rager is also having a good camp early. He's an exciting rookie. I would prefer Deshaun Jackson as of now, uh, but you can like both. I like both. So next bit of news, the Packers GM has compared second-round rookie running back A.J. Dillon to Eddie Lacy. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, but Fantasy Twitter has been drooling over a picture of A.J. Dillon's legs in practice. Uh, There's a lot of girth there. Not quite Saquon Barkley tree trunk thigh level, but but very impressive nonetheless. It almost made me want to not skip leg day, but then I thought better of that, obviously. So when asked about AJ Dillon, Packers GM said, I think he's built to last. He has a lot of production over the last three years in college, and he's proven that. We think, or we had a chance to have Eddie Lacy here a few years, and and where he was that kind of back, I think AJ can do similar things. So AJ Dillon, 245-pound bruiser back. The Packers recently stated publicly that they're trying to re-sign Aaron Jones to a long-term deal before the season. So it looks like Green Bay views Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon is like kind of a one-two punch, like a thunder and lightning pair of the future. But for now, it's just a matter of how much Dillon can factor into the offense. Like as a rookie, he'll have to beat out Jamal Williams and play second fiddle to Aaron Jones. And Williams was quietly efficient last season. Aaron Rodgers even expressed a little concern with A.J. Dillon getting familiarized with the playbook. But I think A.J. Dillon would be playing the Jamal Williams role of last season by the midway point of this season not a huge factor in the passing game in college, uh, really at all. Uh, so I, I like him in, in non-PPR leagues more than PPR leagues. And I, I mainly like him in dynasty leagues as a whole more than traditional season-long redraft leagues. Uh, Jarvis Landry uh, will be, with a hip injury, will be worked into team drills over the next few weeks. Uh, Coach Kevin Stefanski said that Landry is progressing nicely. Uh, some people will hear that and think, happy thoughts? I am not one of those people. Because to me, this says that the Browns are hoping that Landry will be ready for week one. And I am too, but I'm not selecting him in my fantasy drafts until he's 100% ready. I don't want any of this progressing nicely talk. You know, I want progressed, past tense, like as in it's over now. He's already recovered from his injury 100%. He's ready to go. So seeing as my drafts are this week and next week, I don't think I'll have any exposure to Juice Landry this season. And Juice is a nickname, by the way. I didn't accidentally say Juice Landry. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reports that Bryce Love is looking really good at training camp and will be a factor in the Washington backfield. So this is who I'm rooting for to be the Washington running back. And like I said last week, I'd rather spend my final pick, like the 17th round or whatever, on Bryce Love uh, than take like the most hyped player in all of fantasy right now, Antonio Gibson or Adrian Peterson, like round nine. So uh, I'll be rooting for love there. I think he's worth like, you know, a really, really late round flyer 
for now, hoping that you can get a diamond in the rough. Uh, this is a big one here. Eagles head coach Doug Peterson said that Miles Sanders would be the guy in Philadelphia backfield this season. And this is the first time we've actually heard this out of the horse's mouth, the head coach. Because before it was all coach speak from Deuce Staley, running back coach. And he's making made similar comments. So maybe this means that the Eagles are out on Devonta Freeman. And I told you all earlier this offseason or a few weeks ago that if the Eagles, if I knew the Eagles wouldn't sign Devonta Freeman, I'd have more confidence in Miles Sanders and I'd raise him on my draft board. I am doing so. I still have a second round grade on Sanders. However, I can't quite get him into round one. Uh, Broncos running back Melvin Gordon said he's having a hard time adjusting to the altitude in Denver in his first training camp with the team. In fact, beat writers Jeff Legwald has reported that Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay are splitting the work pretty evenly in offense and early in training camp. And Gordon admitted, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm struggling a little bit with the altitude up here. He said after uh, Sunday's practice, that's my biggest adjustment, working all offseason, coming here. I feel like you're not in shape only because of the altitude. So, yeah, I think that the shortened offseason preventing Gordon from participating in the new offense hurt. Obviously, the altitude struggles, sure. Uh, we may see closer to 50-50 split between Philip Lindsay and Gordon to start the season, but I do stand by my opinion that Melvin Gordon is going to take over this backfield and kind of relegate Philip Lindsay to a nice change of pace back um, after the first couple of weeks, if not earlier. Uh, so I'm standing pat with Melvin Gordon in round four. And last bit of news here over the weekend, uh, NBC Sports' Peter King guesses that Rob Gronkowski will finish third in snaps among the Buccaneers tight ends. Third in snaps among Buccaneers tight ends. And he suggested that, or he predicted that OJ Howard will lead the Bucs in snaps at tight end. So, okay. I am not the only one who thinks this, apparently. That is good. I've gone at length about how I can't justify taking Gronk in round eight at tight end eight. Too many major red flags. So I'll be letting other teams draft Gronk this season. And I'm, I'm okay with that. So let's get into the main event in today's show, and that is to examine the annual Apex Experts League draft. And this is one of the most competitive drafts each offseason. And the experts in this drafts are outstanding. Like all 12 of them are people who I follow and track their drafts and opinions on players, you know, every day. And in 12, these are 12 of the more, most popular names within the entire fantasy football industry. So really cool draft that they all get together. And these guys are Sean Siegel, who's the inventor of zero RB running back, or sorry, zero running back stra draft strategy. Rich Rebar, uh, he works for Sharp Football. He's a great, one of the best analytics guys in the business. Sigmund Bloom for footballguys.com. Uh, just an awesome he takes, he's kind of like me. He takes a lawyer like approach. And I think he is an attorney as well. He takes an attorney like approach to player evaluations. Very strong on the positive and negatives for both guys. So I really going to appreciate and, and, and admire Sigmund Bloom. Uh, Graham Barfield, creator of Yards Created, and, and a running back metric here. You've heard for he works for fantasypoints.com. You've heard a lot of his me uh, actually cite a lot of his great work on this podcast. Matt Harmon, you've heard me also cite him a lot, inventor of reception perception for Yahoo Sports, a great metric there for wide receivers. Pat Dowdery of Roto World, one of the best weekly rankers in the entire industry. John Paulson, one of the most accurate year to year projections for 444football.com. Uh, Mike Brode, 
who works for Rotoviz. He's the founder of Apex Fantasy Leagues. Uh, Evan Silva, who's kind of seen as the goat in the industry by many. He works for uh, EstablishTheRun.com. C.D. Carter, who's the, actually the premier kicker analyst in the industry. Uh, and I don't mean to poke fun at that. He really is. Uh, but he works for Rotoworld.com. Uh, and lastly, I should say Mike Clay, who used to be Pro Football Focus's lead guy and helped build their pa- fantasy platform. And now he's a co-lead analyst with Matthew Barry at ESPN.com. He does their projections on ESPN.com. So 12 like total sharks here. And the scoring of this draft is full point PPR. They start one quarterback, three wide receivers. So a little bit receiver heavy. So I'm going to run through this draft very quickly. And I'm not going to give my commentary on each pick. Uh, but the main purpose of this exercise, is, you know, it's not for my critiques and compliments of each pick. It's mainly so you can see the cream of the crop, like the most knowledgeable experts in the, one of the most competitive industry drafts in the entire fantasy football world, like where are they taking the players? So some of you are probably just getting back to fantasy and you may not have looked at much. And some of you may want a rundown of where the experts are taking guys, not just logging on and looking at ESPN rankings or ADP. So this is for you. And it's also for the people who maybe have been focusing on fantasy football for the last month or two, and you have a few specific players you want. So maybe you really want DJ Chark on your team. And, you know, DJ Chark, maybe he's going round six in ESPN casual drafts or in ADP, but you want to see where the experts are taking him. So this will help you get the lay of the land uh, for 2020 fantasy football either way. Uh, as it stands right now, three weeks until the regular season or, or two weeks or less until your draft. So let's get started. Sean Siegel, Christian McCaffrey went first. Uh, Rich Rebar took Saquon Barkley second. <laughs> Sigmund Bloom, Ezekiel Elliott, third. Grant Barfield, Alvin Kamara, fourth. And then Matt Harmon, Derek Henry, fifth. So I just got into the dilemma between Henry and Kamara at four and five earlier. This is exactly what happens in this draft. That's my pretty much my exact top five right there. I have no really disagreements so far in this PPR draft. Next pick was Michael Thomas. Pick seven was Dalvin Cook. Pick eight, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So looked at my kingdom. I was finally there. Edwards Elaire, top nine pick, like in pretty much every draft that I've seen since the Damian Williams opt out news, definitely solidified himself as a top 10 pick overall. So you will see that. Uh, so if you're just getting back into fantasy football, do not be alarmed there. Edwards, the Fresh Prince, goes at number eight overall. Uh, Mike Brody takes Devontae Adams ninth. So, so far, Pretty chalky draft right now, right? I mean, everyone can kind of agree on the top nine picks. And even if you don't agree with the top nine exactly, you can pretty much you can make a really strong argument that it is the right top nine, at least from a projection standpoint. So um, uh, at 10 overall, Evan Silva drafts Miles Sanders. So Sanders ADP much higher in the experts high stake drafts like this than mainstream drafts. ADP is 13th overall. Um, I see Sanders as more of a mid-second rounder, as I've described. Some experts are taking him as high as eighth overall. Uh, again, I'm in the minority there. By My mid-second round is actually low on Sanders. Uh, he's one of the most hyped players in all of the fantasy football industry, Miles Sanders is. So we should not be surprised to see him go in round one. Uh, C.D. Carter takes Julio Jones. Julio, get the stretch! And Julio is actually my clear receiver three. And I think there's a little drop-off after Julio, too. I just think... You know, been a top eight receiver for like last six seasons. 
as safe a pick as any in all of fantasy football. Great quarterback situation, no running game, no defense, consistent over the years. So yeah, I mean, I have a first round grade on Julio Jones. I have Julio over DeAndre Hopkins and Tyree Hill, who are sometimes going before them, which I do disagree with. Uh, Mike Clay rounds out the first round by taking Nick Chubb, and then he starts the second round by going by doubling up on running back and going Kenyon Drake. And that's kind of a cool pairing right there because they have just totally opposite skill sets, right? So uh, Clay has the two running back there, Kenyon Drake 13th overall, uh, Chubb 12th overall. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins by C.D. Carter is the next pick. And, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of this pick, as I've spoken about in the past. I think his ADP is, is just a little too high right now. Uh, Evan Silva takes Joe Mixon, I think, uh, at uh, 2.03. That sounds about right. Uh, I could, You can make the argument that I would flip Evan Silva's picks even, where I wouldn't be surprised if he got Joe Mixon at 10th overall and then Miles Sanders here in round two, early in round two. But he did Sanders and then Mixon. But either way, same difference, same result. Um, Mike Broad takes Tyree Kill. Uh, next up is Austin Eckler. Experts have very varying opinions on Austin Eckler. Uh, some see him as early round two, like even before this pick. Others don't see him as a round two player at all. But this is PPR, and you know that helps. That benefits Eckler a lot. Uh, Josh Jacobs is the next pick in mid-round two. Aaron Jones is right after that. Allen Robinson is the next pick by Matt Harmon. He is a wide receiver guru, so I will give him the benefit of the doubt. But I do think it's a little ambitious, 20th overall for Allen Robinson. Uh, I I don't trust his quarterback situation that high to take him there. And and last year, he was only wide receiver 13 in points per game in his career season. But yet Matt Harmon, uh, he drafts Allen Robinson over the Tampa Bay receivers here. And I believe that's at wide receiver 6 overall. So, yeah, pretty bold stance by Matt Harmon there. Um, So, Graham Barfield takes Chris Godwin. Then Travis Kelsey goes first tight end. And I actually prefer Kelsey over Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin. So, but then after that, George Kittle goes, who pretty much always goes a few picks after Kelsey in every draft I've seen. uh, And and usually near the, the round two or three turn. Mike Evans also always goes right after Chris Godwin, two or three, round two or three turn. Okay, round three, Kenny Galladay. Adam Thielen, and then we have our first quarterback uh, by Sigmund Bloom. He takes uh, Lamar Jackson. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Here, and really interesting approach by Bloom because he actually has taken both Travis Kelsey and Lamar Jackson. So very unique build there. Uh, and he had Ezekiel Elliott too. So I like his team a lot, but it's very rare for an expert to go early at both quarterback and tight end. Usually it's just one or none. So uh, next pick, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, Zach Ertz is after that. And this is about as high by Matt Harmon. Again, this is about as high as I've seen Zach Ertz go in an expert draft. Just a few spots higher, I would just say, uh, in a draft that's not tight end premium. But I don't mind it. Ertz is very reliable, very dependable. Next pick is DJ Moore, uh, then Odell Beckham. And, I mean, it is tough to rank these receivers. Like Adam Thielen, uh, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, Judy Smith, Schuster, Odell Beckham, Amari Cooper. Um, I mean, man, it is, it's almost like you want to wait for one of them to fall to you because it's tough to sit there at the beginning of round three or even late in round two and have to take one of these guys when you know that a very, very similar player is going probably early, a full round later, like in round four. But yeah, uh, John Paulson takes uh, 
Patrick Mahomes at 32 overall. And that's about as late as, I mean, you won't see him go at 32 all in any of your home leagues. But I can get on board with that for sure. I mean, I would definitely take him at 32 overall. Just like I said, the quality of receivers, I can just wait on receiver and get them in round four anyway. Uh, next pick is Amari Cooper and then James Conner. And this is higher than consensus by Evan Silva for James Conner. His ADP is 44th overall, Conner's is. And Evan takes him at 34th overall. And he actually opens up with three RBs in this wide receiver heavy draft. So pretty interesting strategy by Evan. Uh, C.D. Carter takes A.J. Brown, kind of a boomer bust pick there. I've seen him both compared to Terrell Owens and Martavis Bryant. So quite the range of outcomes there. Uh, Cortland Sutton is next, and that rounds out round three. And then Calvin Ridley, Devontae Parker, and C.D. Carter has actually opened up with four wide receivers here. He's taken a zero RB approach. It's worked for him in years past. And then Terry McLaurin, Cooper Cup, so a little bit of a receiver run here. Mike Brode has also opened up four wide. And you do start three wide receivers and a flex. And this is a full-point PPR league. So if there's any settings that are favorable to implement the zero RB strategy, it is this one. Uh, Mark Andrews is next, tight end four. Uh, at 4.05, uh, then Robert Woods, then David Johnson, Tyler Lockett, Melvin Gordon, DK Metcalf, DJ Chark. I don't have a problem with any of those picks. I mean, I like all those guys. And then Le'Veon Bell rounds out uh, round four, and that is 12 spots lower than ADP. So every expert passed on Le'Veon Bell once after his after Bell reached his market value ADP, and I, I am cool with that. Uh, I don't think Le'Veon Bell should be going in round three. So And he went here, last pick of round four. So round four... You know, quality round there. I mean, all the players I mentioned, I mean, you can make great arguments that they will uh, vastly exceed their average draft position. So round four, pretty strong round in this expert's drafts here. Uh, so in a lot of these players, you can actually get in round five in casual drafts. So that's pretty good news there. This fifth round here is not as, um, not as, not as attractive uh, for me. So uh, Sean Siegel opens up the fifth round by taking Todd Gurley. And I mentioned Gurley in my NFC players to avoid episodes that I don't see Gurley anywhere near round three, which is where his ADP is somehow. He goes in round five here, which I think is better. And it does show you that the experts, I am in agreement with the experts that they should, or maybe I'll, 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 fl- I'll make this the opposite approach. The experts are in agreement with me that Todd Gurley is a fade this season. Uh, Rich Rebar takes Keenan Allen, and then A.J. Green goes. Uh, you know, Keenan Allen is somebody who, if you believe in his talent and his, in that his situation is kind of overblown, you should have no issue landing Keenan Allen because he is sliding in drafts based on his name recognition, how good he is at football. Uh, after A.J. Green, surprising pick here, Marquise Brown by to Graham Barfield. And that's pretty lofty for Brown, whose ADP is 72. And here he goes, I think, what is this, 54th overall? So... You know, it's gotten the Marquise Brown hype has gotten to the point to where if you want him, you're going to have to reach to grab him. Uh, and then it's Michael Gallup, T.Y. Hilton, Chris Carson. So very late for Chris Carson. Experts seem a little concerned about the hip injury. His ADP is 34th overall in round three, and he goes mid fifth here. I would prefer Chris Carson over Todd Gurley for sure. Let's see, Stephon Diggs, Jonathan Taylor, Jarvis Landry, Will Fuller, uh, kind of a high around higher than his ADP, and then Kyler Murray round out round five. Kyler Murray is the third quarterback taken by Mike Clay 
Uh, sorry, it's not the third quarterback taken by Mike Clay. It's the third quarterback taken in this draft, and Mike Clay took him. And that is the last pick in the fifth round at 60 overall. So quarterbacks are going late in this experts draft. Uh, Mike Clay then took uh, a, a mid-round tight end along with his quarterback, which is Darren Waller uh, in the first pick in the sixth round. Then, really interesting pick here, C.D. Carter takes Leonard Fournette. So Leonard Fournette, in my AFC players to avoid, his ADP is 27th overall. And he was taken pick 62 in this draft. So three full rounds later than ADP. One of the biggest discrepancies in this draft between mainstream ADP and where they, a player actually went in this draft. And it's actually a perfect pick for C.D. Carter. I have no issues with it despite Fournette, me fading Fournette. I have no issues with it because for, uh, Carter started with five wide receivers in a in go, going zero RB strategy. Uh, so he opened up with five wide. So to secure Leonard Fournette as your RB1 in round six when the guy finishes, a, uh, I think, a top seven running back last year, that is actually a steal for this philosophy. And, and Carter actually won the league with a zero RB approach in 2018. And I think Grant Barfield won last year. So Evan Silva then takes Deontay Johnson, which is a notable pick because, you know, these trendy breakout picks like, you know, Miles Sanders and Deontay Johnson and, and Ronald Jones and, uh, and I guess Marquise Brown, these trendy, trendy breakout picks are not going in like round eight and nine like you normally would see. They're going in like rounds five or six, and that speaks to the competitiveness of this expert draft. Uh, and it's just a very tough pill to swallow I would have if I was in this draft. It would be a tough pill to swallow taking Deontay Johnson around six. But nevertheless, Evan, Evan Silva does it. And he did start RB heavy with three running backs in a row. So, yeah, he does need the wide receivers. So, you know, I understand kind of the reach there. Then Tyler Boyd, Julian Edelman went, Brandon Cooks went, uh, Devin Singletary, Kareem Hunt, Cam Akers, Raheem Mostert, DeAndre Swift. So a little late running back run here in round six. Uh, and then Christian Kirk at wide receiver at the last pick in round six. So again, if you're thinking like, oh, well, I thought Kirk goes in round nine. Yeah, in normal drafts he does. But then again, the experts are grabbing all of these popular uh, you know, sleepers and breakout guys uh, just because it's an extremely competitive draft. And the reason they're able to do that is because they are pushing quarterbacks and tight ends down the line. you know, And they're pushing players with low ceilings down the line. So... Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's why you're seeing this. So seventh round, uh, Debo Samuel was the first pick by Sean Siegel. This is probably my least favorite pick in the entire draft. As you all know, I don't trust his injury. I don't think I wouldn't take Debo Samuel to like round 10. Uh, and this is one of my this next pick is one of my favorite picks in the draft. Rich Rebar of, Roto, of uh, Sharp Football. He takes David Montgomery. And I love this pick. Ew, David. Uh, this is round seven. And this is round 70 pick 72 overall. And yeah, Montgomery was a huge letdown last year. But I think 74 overall is a steal for Montgomery. He's someone that you know is getting the volume. You know is getting goal line carries. And I think he'll improve as a player. And his situation should improve. Maybe not greatly, but enough. I see Montgomery as a real nice fifth-round pick. And here he goes uh, at 74th overall. So great uh, pick there, in my opinion, by Rich. Uh, Sigmund Bloom takes Ronald Jones, probably the most hyped player in the entire industry this offseason by the experts. Uh, maybe either Jones or Miles Sanders or Antonio Gibson has, gets that crown. But seventh-round pick. And I think Jones could also creep up to round six, uh, especially if you play in a non-PPR league. So Dak Prescott, QB4. And how late are the quarterbacks going, man? I mean, like, this is this is like right almost to pick 80 overall, and we see Dak Prescott QB4. Uh, Matt Harmon takes Sterling Shepard. 
higher than consensus there on Shepard. He must have saw something in reception perception. Uh, Rob Gronkowski. Tight end six by Pat Dottery. Pretty aggressive pick here uh, in the seventh round. Tight end six for Rob Gronkowski. Uh, JJ Zacharyson takes Marvin Jones and then Jamison Crowder. Then Mark Ingram goes. So experts very down on Ingram here. Bottom of round seven. And again, almost after pick 80 for Mark Ingram. Very low. Probably as low as I've seen him. And J.K. Dobbins goes one pick later to Evan Silva. As those, the fact that those guys are picked back-to-back says that the experts are viewing this as a full-blown running back by committee, at least by midseason. So they don't expect Ingram to keep his role all season. After that, Tariq Cohen and then Darius Slayton finish out round seven. Round eight, uh, Evan Ingram is taken by Mike Clay as tight end seven. Uh, James White uh, is taken, and then Deshaun Watson, QB5 in this draft in round eight. Then Hunter Henry is tight end eight. Um, Emmanuel Sanders. Antonio Gibson, uh, who the experts, you know, just total experts darling now that Darius Guy's got cut. Gibson's going like the single round of drafts in all expert leagues. Uh, Michael Hardman, another experts darling there uh, by Pat Dowdery. Uh, Mike Williams, Jalen Rager, Sammy Watkins, Anthony Miller, C.D. Lamb. So a nice receiver run right here to end out round eight. Uh, lots of fourth and fifth receivers here. And I think there was only one running back in round eight here. So ninth round, uh, starting at picks 97 overall. Uh, Nikhil Harry, then Zach Moss, Curtis Samuel, tight end, uh, sorry, Hayden Hurst is tight end nine. Jordan Howard goes, Preston Williams, Henry Ruggs, John Brown, Matt Breida, Deshaun Jackson, we talked about him earlier. Uh, Philip Lindsay, Golden Tate. So pretty unattractive round nine. Again, it didn't take long for all the experts to uh, draft all the good players. Uh, they're not really, you're not really getting the steals that you would in a normal draft. So ninth round uh, is complete. We're at pick 109 now. And that, Mike Clays opens that up with Daryl Henderson. Uh, then Carrion Johnson, I spoke about him earlier. Brandon Ayuka, I talked about him earlier. And then Russell Wilson. His name, his name's Mr. 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 Unlimited. Uh, you got to be unlimited. Uh, 10.04. Uh, so round 10, pick four, and QB six. And I can't believe that Russ Wilson has lasted this long. After We are after pick 110 overall, and, and only the sixth quarterback just got taken. So think about all the useless players, like all the fifth receivers and fifth running backs for all these teams that I just mentioned above Russell Wilson, arguably the third most valuable player in real football, like in the entire NFL and this is like the cream of the crop, like some of the most knowledgeable experts in the world. And they are taking like, I'm just going to read off the ninth round. Like the following players were taken over Russell Wilson. Nikhil Harry, Zach Moss, Curtis Samuel, Hayden Hurst, Jordan Howard, Preston Williams, uh, Henry Ruggs, John Brown, Matt Breida, Deshaun Jackson, Philip Lindsay, Golden Tate. All those guys, Brandon Ayuk, Carrion Johnson, Daryl Henderson. Those are all the picks, the last... Uh, 15 picks taken before Russell Wilson. And if that alone isn't a great argument for making your league a super flex league, then I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, if you can't see 
that this is a huge problem with the game of fantasy football, then I just, I just can't help you. Like one quarterback leagues are just such trash now. And I'm not trying to be a snob about it, but come on. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous at this point. The cries for Superflex should be much louder than they are. And my blood kind of boils when I see stuff like this. And again, I'm not blaming the experts for waiting on quarterbacks. You know, I'm not saying they're doing it wrong, like bad strategy by drafting all those other useless players over quarterbacks. I'm saying that the system is clearly, clearly broken if this is the case. So moving on, John Paulson takes Tyler Higby at tight end nine. Uh, then Justin Jefferson goes. And then Austin Hooper, tight end 10. So we're starting to see the tight ends come off the board. Josh Allen, quarterback tight end, uh, quarterback seven off the board. Uh, Tevin Coleman, Mike Jasicki is tight end 11. Tony Pollard, uh, best handcuff in fantasy, uh, goes here at 10.11. And then last pick in round 10 is Noah Fant uh, at tight end 12. So I will end it there. And so several teams kind of waited until round 10 picks 109 through 120. That's how late that was to take their starting quarterbacks and tight ends. And I do think that that should be a valuable takeaway from this draft. Like if you don't get a top tight end or top quarterback and you don't have like a mid-round quarterback that you like, like Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Carson Wentz, or a mid-round tight end like Gronk or Jared Cook or whoever, if you don't have those guys that you prefer and you wait on the position for both or either quarterback or tight end or both, So you're okay, based on your board, with ending up with like Aaron Rodgers or Matt Stafford in in a one-quarterback league. Then just wait until all the people like have drafted their quarterbacks. And not only that, you got to wait a few rounds later. Like that's the most common mistake is that people don't execute it enough. What I mean by that is let's say 10 of the 12 teams of your league or maybe 11 of 12 teams, you're the only person, one of the only people in your league that has not drafted a quarterback or a tight end. And it's like round seven or eight right now. And that's normal, like for a home draft, like where everybody else has picked their tight end or quarterback, their starter by like round eight. So don't just say, this is like the most common mistake with this strategy. Don't just say, well, I've waited seven rounds. Everyone else has their quarterback or tight end. So let me take Stafford and Rodgers in round eight. No, that's no good because unless you have a guy that you love, unless you love Stafford and Rodgers, which I doubt you do because otherwise you wouldn't have waited all this time to take them, you should maximize the value there. Like 10 other teams have already drafted their quarterback and tight end in this scenario. They aren't going to be drafting a second quarterback or a second tight end in a one quarterback league. So just keep hitting running back and receiver until like round 10. And that's like picks 109 to 120. A lot of people can't wait that long. They don't get patient enough. So you have to read the room. You have to be patient. And I know the feeling. Like I know that's hard to wait on quarterback because it seems, you know, you went late round quarterback. You start feeling antsy because you see big names like Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford on the board. And you feel like you already got a great value. But no, your job is not done. It has just begun. You got to milk this. He needs some milk. You got you to gotta wait until even a few rounds later because nobody's taking their backup quarterback or their second string tight end. So you got to maximize the benefit of the late round quarterback or tight end strategy. And sometimes you can wait until round 11 or 12. It just depends on your league. Like look at the draft history. Do people in your home leagues like to grab backup quarterbacks or tight ends? In my leagues, yeah, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes some teams do, but most don't do it until like round 12. So unless you have somebody that you love over the others, why Take your starter in round eight, starting quarterback or starting tight end in round eight, just because they're the 12th best player at the position when you could take them in round 12. So that's definitely a big takeaway here. Anyway, I hope that 
I helped you get all a feel for who is going where and what players the experts are higher on and lower on compared to ADP. Also note that they weren't afraid to reach around or too higher for the players that they loved, like all the buzz guys, because it only takes one team to steal your guy. And the more competitive your draft is, the more you want to uh, not be afraid to reach for the players that you like. And they didn't just, they also, this is another, I've talked about reaching for the guys you like a lot, but the reverse is true too. So like they didn't just draft a falling player, like a player who slides in in this draft. They didn't just see Leonard Fournette sliding around past where he's supposed to go and then just say, oh, I got to gobble him up because he's good value here. You know, they didn't just look at according to the rankings like or the ADP, now they should pounce on Leonard Fournette based on his perceived value. And I always tell people this in the NFL draft, when a player starts sliding, there's usually a good reason for it, you know, behind the scenes. So don't change your opinion on somebody just because you are getting perceived nice value. If you don't trust the player, don't pick the player. Far more often than not, the player that you altered your draft strategy and board for just because you didn't think he would slide to you. And, you know, this is the common phrase. Oh, he just fell in my lap, so I had to take him. No, you don't have to take anybody. Okay, that kind of sort of thing, that usually doesn't work out. Stay true to your board and not the default draft room rankings, which, again, have historically proven to be so inaccurate over time. So let's end the show with a fantasy nugget of the day. All right, today's fantasy nugget comes from Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com. Yet again, he leads the Fantasy Law Guy podcast in most fantasy nuggets, I think by a decent margin. Uh, But he's always posting little good uh, tweets that kind of make you think. And that's the purpose of the Fantasy Nuggets. So here we are with Jared Smola once again. And, And this is what he says. This is why George Kittle over Travis Kelsey is a tough sell. Kittle ranked just 18th among tight ends with 338 pass routes last year. And that was 213 pass routes fewer than Travis Kelsey. So a lot of experts, you know, getting cute, trying to rank George Kittle over Kelsey. But according to Smola, Kelsey is still the guy. He ran 213 more pass routes than George Kittle last year. That is a substantial number right there and a great argument for keeping Kelsey at tight end one. And that'll conclude today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next episode, we have a great show about commissioner league setup. Talks about rules, talks about best scoring settings, best settings. It's going to be awesome, even if you're not a commissioner, which you will learn a lot if you are a commissioner. But even if you're not, you will want to talk to your commissioner about best practices after this episode. So please tune in to that. You will not regret it. Uh, There's also... A new website. It is fantasylawguy.com, and you can go check that out. I kind of talked about that a little bit in the beginning of the show. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor, hit the subscribe, and give this podcast a five-star rating. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.